0: questions that's 919-860-9783
1: now here's doug linda and deborah investments offered through sfa inc investment advice through lewis financial management sfa inc and lewis financial management are not related entities hello north carolina this is doug lewis certified financial planner once again welcoming you to money matters with the Lewises. doug linda and deborah lewis Money Matters has been providing you with a personal financial hotline for all your questions about investments, estate planning, tax planning, money management, and retirement planning for over 30 years. Well, good evening, North Carolina. This is Doug
2: Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And this is Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And we're the Lewis's, the Lewis family here every Saturday and Sunday night to answer your questions and be that one place where you can safely ask anything that's on your mind regarding financial issues.
1: It's your chance tonight. We're here for you. Any question you've got about your own personal financial planning, about your investment planning, about your retirement planning, about your cash flow planning, about your tax planning, about your college education planning, even your insurance planning, we are here for you. Tonight is your evening, so give us a call at 919 860
2: 9783. Doug, As many people know, we have been doing comprehensive financial planning for over three decades here in Raleigh. And a lot of people call and ask questions uh, and use this time. And then after the show, they tend to call us. We might want to tell them about our website. You know, I always forget
1: to remind people about the website. But the website is pretty important because we continually update it. And we have videos of ourselves, interviews, and sample radio uh, programs. So go to Doug. And linda.com That's DougAndLinda.com. That's our website.
2: And when you make an appointment for a face-to-face meeting with us at Lewis Financial Management, we offer one of three books after that first meeting, either The Middle Class Millionaire, Wealthy Barber, or Simple Wealth, Inevitable Wealth. So, Doug, we've had a crazy weather week. What was it like in the markets and the industry this week? (laughs) Boy,
1: There's been a lot of craziness, whether it's on Capitol Hill or whether it's with the markets. It's hard to believe that we are in the 26,000 range now, not 25,000. The market indeed closed at 26,071, and that was an amazing week we had. Uh, We were up and we were down. But believe it or not, we actually closed at $26,071, and oil actually closed almost at $69 a barrel. So right now, uh, things are looking extremely good. Stocks did rise during this volatile week as concerns over a potential government shutdown, rising interest rates weighed on investor sentiment. And I would have to say that large-cap stocks outpaced small-cap stocks. Now, it's interesting that a government shutdown should have minimal short-term economic impact, unlike the 16-day shutdown back in 2013. The current budget negotiations are not tied to raising the debt ceiling. Economic data remains supportive also of a positive market momentum. Industrial production surged in December Home building permits remain near a a two-and-a-half-year high. Weekly jobless claims fell to a 45-year low. And then Apple announced plans to pay a one-time tax bill of $38 billion to repatriate its foreign cash holdings. And these repatriated funds are going to be used in part to build a new campus for technical support, open data centers, and hire 20,000 new workers. The announcement is an early indication that companies are indeed responding to corporate tax cuts by reinvesting proceeds into their businesses and the U.S. economy, just as was promised. Uh, before the Tax Act was passed.
2: Now, Doug, that is a good point, because Apple making this move, it might be that they are the first, or the biggest, or the most notable, but really, that's pulling businesses from overseas back to the United States.
1: I believe it's the first of a number of moves we're going to see. I think that uh, uh, many companies are going to want to get on the bandwagon of saying, me too, me too. Look, we're here for the USA of America. And then earnings seasons itself is underway right now. And so far, 53 companies in the S&P 500 index, of these 53, 83% of them have exceeded analyst sales estimates. So right now, we are looking very well. Even the futures market is expecting us to have a good week in front of us.
3: And if you have questions about your financial planning, call the Lewis's right now at at 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783.
2: You know, Doug, another thing that has been moving as far as this momentum towards, uh, I guess, good things in response to the promises of the new tax bill, the Reform Act, or that many of the employers were making the news this week because of 401ks. Yeah,
1: that, one of the uh, Wall Street Journal articles pointed uh, picked up on that real big. They pointed out that
2: the tax break now is flowing to some 401ks. Oh, the article about from uh, Anne Turgeson. She was talking about a growing number of companies that plan to use some of the savings they expect to realize from the tax overhaul to boost their contributions to employees' 401k retirement savings accounts. Yeah,
1: that was pretty powerful. About a dozen companies, including Visa and Nationwide Mutual Insurance, have announced plans to raise the payments that they make to match the employee contributions to their own 401k accounts. Others have said they would make a one-time contribution to employees' retirement plans.
2: The change in the tax law, which cut the U.S. corporate tax rate from or to 21 percent from 35 percent, is the latest in a series of factors that are motivating companies to raise their 401k contributions. The
1: average company contribution to a 401k plan rose to about 4.7 percent of the employee salaries, which in previous years had been about 3.9 percent. But I think we have to remind the listeners exactly what is a 401k plan.
2: Oh, good point. A 401k is an employer-sponsored plan that allows employees to contribute a portion of their gross salary to a savings plan. That money typically isn't taxed until it is withdrawn, and participants generally pick from a list of investment options. Amid
1: a tight labor market, employers now are spending more on their 401k matches to attract and retain talent. In addition, as some companies have let go of their pension plans, many are raising the 401k contribution match out of concern that employees aren't, savings en- aren't saving enough for retirement.
2: Well, you know, companies realize they want to have a workforce that's prepared for retirement. This allows them to know that the next set of employees are going to be able to come aboard because if people are willing to leave their jobs because they're prepared, then the next crew can come in.
1: Yeah, as a rising share of employers adopt automatic enrollment, and this is different. Automatic enrollment puts workers into a 401k plan automatically and then lets them opt out rather than requiring them initially to sign up on their own. And this puts more people, at least that's what they're, we're seeing now, more people, therefore, are participating in retirement plans, which drives up the amount that the employers
2: are matching. Well, this sounds like really good news. Uh, Many of these companies, Doug, that you had mentioned, have been citing this passing of this legislation, this tax overhaul for these increasing contributions. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking
1: of so so long, IBM, as an example, was putting out... uh, um,
2: Notices they were going to cut. Well, well, I was thinking, though, in terms
1: of their procedure, was that if you contribute 6% Mm -hmm. of your pay to a 401k plan will match 50 cents on the dollar. Now here Visa said that they're going to go ahead and match 200% of the first
2: 5%. So let's say a guy is making 100,000 at Visa puts in 5% of his income, that's 5,000 during the year. Does that mean
1: Visa is going to match $10,000. That's wow. powerful.
2: Powerful. That is powerful. Well, that's good news. Doug, it looks like we have a caller. Yeah, it looks like Dan's
1: on the phone. Dan, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can we help you this evening?
4: Doug, I'm trying to find out if I can find out. Um, well, any changes in the tax law that's recently passed in terms of the standard deduction and all those kind of things have any... Impact you think on a trust strategy or charitable
1: giving? Well, it's very interesting because amongst a lot of the uh, the press that was out there, there were some things that were missed, and they're very positive. Dan, uh, for example, uh, the charitable giving was actually increased. Which, up until uh, the present, the new tax law, you could take fifty percent of your adjusted gross income as the maximum charitable contribution you could make in a given year and carry over the balance. Well, they actually raised that to sixty percent. So that's very powerful. Now, on the other hand, on the other hand, the charitable trust, which we have talked about very much through the years uh, on this program, uh, the charitable trust was total was totally untouched. Nothing has affected it and everything. And so for people out there who have land that's appreciated or businesses uh, that they're trying to sell or a large stock portfolio that is facing a big tax hit if they sell it, the charitable trust was totally untouched. And it is still the most powerful financial planning tool out there. It's a wonderful strategy. The new tax act seems to have been very favorable to this I- aspect of the charitable giving.
4: Understood. Uh, that's kind of what I was looking for. I, I, I listened to your uh, other uh, advice and input uh, uh, out there.
1: Well, I appreciate that, Dan. Thank you very much. And if you have any questions about your own situation, especially with regard to charitable giving or charitable ch- or the Charitable Remainder Trust, uh, give us a call at the office. The office number is 919 919- Eight seven two seven thousand. That's nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand, and we'll be able to go ahead and make a personal appointment, a consultation with you, and see how something can fit right there into your own world. And thanks for calling, Dan.
4: Very good, and, and thanks for for being available on the air so often.
1: All right, thank you, Dan. Wow, well, I think we got another caller coming in. It uh, looks like it's Chuck. Uh, Chuck, this is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. How can I help you this evening?
4: Hello, Doug. Linda. Debra, at the beginning I'd like to say I'm a long-term listener. I enjoy your program immensely. It's very informative.
2: Oh, thank you very much. This is why we come in every weekend, just being uh, available to folks like you who are long-time listeners, and, and we appreciate the feedback.
4: That's what I call dedication.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you, sir. (laughs) Who who was the movie character who said, you just made my day?
4: (laughs) I believe that was old Clint. (laughs) I think it was Clint. (laughs) Well, yes,
2: sir. What's on your mind tonight? Well,
4: this is probably more of a philosophical financial question than specific. But let me give you just a few facts. Uh, All right. uh, What you just said about how things are really looking rosy. Yes. Uh, And how well the market has done since the change in administrations. I know you're not a political show, but I think that the uh, philosophy of our president has made some wonderful progress in the financial markets. Uh, I know that my exposure to the markets is up 25%. This year,
1: congratulations!
4: Uh, thank you. So, considering the length of this bull market, which I'm thinking would go back to 2008, that's about uh, an eight nine year bull market. And considering that I'm in my mid to late 70s, and considering that I have 40 percent of my net worth, uh. Approximately twenty percent of that is retirement, and twenty-five percent non-retirement invested in a very twelve, probably twelve or fourteen, very diversified mutual funds. And considering that it's up twenty-five percent, I can't help but be a little bit nervous in anticipation of another correction, not knowing of course, how deep a correction it would be. And uh, the rest of my assets on real estate, REITs, a business interest, uh, a few individual stocks, not many. But uh, I'm wondering how you can relieve my
1: nervousness. <laughs> well, well, first of all, there are two types of, let's address the mutual funds, because that sounds like the biggest concern you've got. Yes. Yeah. Uh, The mutual funds come in two broad categories. Uh, Those whose managers are technicians and those whose managers are fundamentalists. Now, the technicians are going to be very much at risk to the next correction, as you called it, because those analysts that follow technical analysis they watch lines on a screen, and they study the stocks themselves. They study the activity of those stocks. That's right, the activity of those stocks. The fundamentalist, however, they look at the companies... And so their feeling is to only go ahead and look at the company's performance, not the stock's performance. And that's a totally different approach. So I would say the first thing we'd want to do is to schedule an appointment to get together. Do you have a pen, by the way, Chuck? Jot down our office number. 919 That's 919 872 and when we get together for your appointment, I'm going to go through each of your funds and see which of your funds have managers who are technicians versus which ones who are fundamentalists. That's the first thing. Then the second thing I'm going to look at is the type of managers who are f- fundamentalist. That means they're using research to research the company. They're not looking at the stock. They're making their decisions. For example, they might might make their decision about John Deere versus uh, Caterpillar based on what they feel about the company and whether uh, the hurricane will have effect, whether one company is moving dirt or whether another one is is dealing with infrastructure and so forth. So, these types of analysts that are supporting these type of managers, I'm going to look and see which ones of yours have a history of having gone through the crash of 2008. And those that have not, then I think it might be a time to go ahead and let's look for a substitution. Those that have, I feel that's fine uh, because they have already proven their metal. They're not looking at that. The technical ones, the ones who are looking, they're gonna. And I don't think we're gonna have a even a, a, what, we, what you're calling a correction. I don't. I have not heard any serious analysts that are predicting any large correction. You know, if we say that it, uh, the market is at twenty six thousand right now, okay. So if it goes down to twenty four thousand five hundred, that that might affect the funds whose managers are technicians. But pretty much everybody is saying that, in itself, even that is going to be uh, a uh, a short-term situation because underlying the economies of the world, the underlying economies of the world are all in growth mode. This is a very strange year, a uh, very strange period we're in. Uh, all of the uh, all of the analysts that I respect and that I and I, I do have a lot of contact with a number of them, they point to the fact that it's very rare that the major economies of the world, there's not at least one or two that's uh, doing poorly and others are doing well. But now every major economy in the world is in a growth mode. It's only a question of which ones are in a higher growth mode than the other. And so uh, the way I would approach it is just that, to meet with you, to give you the comfort of which ones are technicians, which ones are fundamentalists. And then we would have some alternatives in there if your well, portfolio is over a million dollars, you said
2: you began by saying that, and I and I like what you're you're uh, telling Chuck in that there are two parts of the portfolio. One part is going to be what's tied to the stock market, which would be the mutual funds. But if you own other investments other than uh, mutual funds or anything that's related or tied to the stock market, then there's a different concern and a different issue. That's right. These are the alternatives. I. I I think Chuck mentioned that he has some
1: of the non-traded REITs. Oh, you said REITs, and I presume they're the non-traded type. Correct. All right. These are what we call alternatives, and these are not tied to it. They will not not be affected whatsoever, even by by any kind of correction or any kind of, of upset, because they're not tied to the markets. But I would love to go ahead and meet with you, have an appointment, and see if I could give you the comfort that you want and tell you where I think you should make changes.
4: Well, thank you, Doug. I feel like I just took a nerve pill.
2: <laughs> well, good. So we're financial value, is what we are. <laughs> okay. I like that. Not, well, not financial value, you. financial value. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because these questions are typical and topical for this time. It is definitely one where we are pleased to see the growth, the fundamental real growth in these companies and these countries. And at the same time, there is often the question behind the question, are we Is there something looming in the future? And I think that goes away when you are uh, working with someone who is a certified financial planner who does have, like Doug was saying, we have a lot of contact with real people who are managing, meaning really buying and selling companies that they believe in.
1: All right. I will say one thing before you get off the air, Chuck. There is one aspect of the market right now which I feel is probably going to face a meltdown of some sort. And I think that's the cryptocurrencies. They've been compared to the uh, the tulip uh, uh, scare of the sixteen hundreds, and I think a number of warnings have come out about that. And a couple of countries have even banned them. They certainly so, have. So that's and the
2: SEC has put warnings out there. Yeah. So, so
1: that that's not that's <laughs> totally apart from anything I said earlier. Okay. Well, I, I certainly don't uh, have any investment in
2: that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again for listening to us. We appreciate it and we love hearing from callers and if you're listening tonight give us a call at 919-860-9783 that's 919-860-9783 well Doug what else is on our uh, your mind tonight in regard to financial planning topics things that might have come up in the news or media or that you've been reading
1: well you know Deborah since we opened up this program what year was it 19- 89. 1989 1989 uh, i the media has has done something very strange uh, there has been more and more i hate to say false information being peddled out there but uh there is this matter of fixed index annuities, and there was an article exposing these in the Wall Street Journal. The article was entitled "The Fallacy of Believing Some Returns Are Risk-Free"
2: by one of our most respected authors,
1: Jason Zweig. That was Jason Zweig. Yeah. That's who it was.
2: You know, he really he was uh, really talking about these fixed annuities from a very um, academic point, but I think it's worth bringing up to our audience tonight. Because, you know, with the U.S. stock market brushing highs again this week, and it will probably continue, many investors are chasing further gains, and some are trying to shortcut or stop potential losses.
1: What the, the, the media is reporting, or what these ads are saying, a lot of them on the radio, It says, well, you can do that with what's called a fixed index annuity, a cross between an insurance contract and a market tracking index fund. Such a product typically is offering the public a minimal guaranteed annual return, along with an assurance of no losses in years when the stock market drops. In exchange, it delivers less than the full gain on stocks in years when the market goes up. Unfortunately, that upside is usually... About 2% maybe. Hmm. It know, may also assure retirement income and some protection against inflation to boot. So that's well Doug p- yeah, yeah
2: Yeah, unfortunately, these annuities are often marketed so aggressively that you could be fooled into thinking you can get stock-like returns at no risk. And this just isn't true. You can't. Yeah, if you buy a fixed-indexed annuity, you have to lock up your money, often for 7 to 10 years and sometimes even longer. And if you need your capital before then, you'll you will have to withdraw, usually being subject to a surrender charge or a penalty that can run up to or even exceed 10% of the account's value. So it's 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 not as it's being portrayed.
1: That's right. That's exactly right. The the focus there is on what I call the eggs, but your chicken is locked up. You want to get your chicken back, then you got as much as a 10% a surrender charge or haircut to take. Now, another risk is what we call the opportunity cost, the additional money that you could have made by not buying the fixed indexed annuity in the first place. While the annuity does put a floor under your potential losses, it
2: also puts a ceiling on any potential gains. Oh, well, that's not good. The money pe- the, and many people who buy these products as a kind of stock market play for cowards have the wrong idea. Fixed annu- indexed annuities are not an alternative way to investing in stocks, and no, many people believe that.
1: That's right. They do. They're not. They're not. They have completely different risk and reward components. They're an alternative to other fixed dollar investments. That's what they are. So they 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 compete with CDs and treasury bills. Often, however, these products are marketed as if they were the investor's dream come true, offering the upside of the stock market with no downside. The marketing message that's pitched out there is you'll make plenty of money if stocks go up while losing nothing if they go down.
2: Yeah. I mean, even some of the other shows on on WPTF, uh, you know... Presented as if it were this this uh, this upside potential only, and it's just not true. It's not true. Some insurance companies and their agents often will use charts showing hypotheticals, but not actual returns. And they're going to use these hypothetical charts that to imply that someone owning the annuity would have continuously earned the rate is in, in place at the end of the period, and that's not true. No. Any chart based on these assumptions is just pure nonsense. So really, a fixed index annuity might make sense
1: if you crave certainty, if you can't bear the thought of losing money, you don't mind tying it up for a decade or so to earn a middling, piddling, assured return for the rest of your life. It makes no sense at all as a way to keep pace with the stock market at no risk. And I'm really glad that Jason's why I get the moral and the Wall Street Journal decided to write an article exposing them.
2: And you know, when you hire a certified financial planner like us at Lewis Financial Management, Doug Lewis, Deborah Lewis, both certified financial planners, you don't have to worry about being sold something that is in someone else's best interest and not at all about what you need, what your retirement need might be, and is just playing on all these fears of what they can sell you in a product that is trying to act like it would uh, eliminate these fears and all of the risks that might be uh, inherent to you making these decisions.
1: I was really happy this past year that several listeners had already sort of uh, bitten the bullet a little bit and uh, bought or getting ready to buy a fixed index annuity, but then came to see us to get an independent analysis of what was this product.
2: You make a good point because there were several people this year. There were. And um, if you're one of those people listening tonight, give us a call at 919-872-7000. Call us this week. Make an appointment. We're at 919-872-7000. Lewis Financial Management will help you evaluate what you've been looking at, and uh, we'll help you answer that question. And if you
3: have questions about your money, call the Lewises right now at 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783.
5: Uh, My son wants me to invest in a subchapter S corporation, and I don't invest anything I can't afford to lose. So I'm not really concerned about that, but I'm concerned about the fact that he wants me to encourage some of my friends to do so. And I don't understand the uh, ins and outs of what a subchapter S corporation means.
1: Well... That's like saying your son would like to get married, but not telling you, you know, uh, who he's marrying. The the, the 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 Subchapter S Corporation is simply a container. W- what is the investment?
5: Uh, the investment is in, in publishing. He, he has something really going in Arizona, and he needs to expand.
1: Oh, so he wants you to help him expand his business? Yes. Oh, well, he's not talking about you investing in a Subchapter S. He's asking you to loan him some money. Uh, well... Yeah.
5: I'm I'm gonna get stock for it.
1: Yeah, well that you know, and a nickel used to buy you a cup of coffee, won't even buy you a cup of coffee today. So the stock is basically gonna be worthless. All you're doing is loaning him money in exchange for the fact that if his business happens to make a profit, then down the road you can get a piece of the profits. But if I, I will tell you with an absolute, absolute assurance, say no. Just say no. Right, Linda?
5: Yeah, I would agree. It's too risky
1: and Never with your kids, with your family. Never invest with the family.
5: Okay, even if I can afford to lose
1: it? No. No. I mean, you create bad, bad, uh, I, I, I would say no. I, I tell all of my clients, do not invest. If you want to give them a gift, give them a gift. If you can afford it, how old are you? (laughs) Sixty. You're 60 years old. What's your income?
5: Uh, oh, roughly two hundred thousand a year.
1: All right, you're making two hundred thousand a year, so you can go ahead and lose some money. Yes. I presume you're not. Your living expenses aren't running two hundred thousand oh, no, a year, no, are no, they? No. no. Okay. Uh, what does your investment portfolio look like?
5: I've got a really, I've, I've got a, a very good one. I've got everything from uh, mutual funds and stocks and bonds, and I've got some T bills, and I've I've got really good spread on that.
1: Okay. And how much do you have invested?
5: Probably about. $350,000.
1: right. So you've got $350,000 investment. Where's your income coming from?
5: Uh, a lot of it's coming from uh, rental property uh-huh. and uh, so, a business
1: that I own. $350,000 is only at best going to be able to produce about 25000 a year income for you. So I'd be real concerned if that's all your investment portfolio is and if you're bringing in 200000 a year, what are you doing with all your money? Well, it's not going into your investment portfolio.
5: No, it's, I've, I've been putting it back in business.
1: And how much does your son want you to, learn to invest in his subchapter? Oh,
5: only
1: about $5,000. Okay. Well, first of all, give him the $5,000 and tell him that you don't want any, any of his stock. All right, that's the best thing to do. It sounds like you're a prime candidate for financial planning. If you tell me your investment portfolio is only $350,000, and I know that can't support a person who's bringing in an income of 200000 because that's only 25000 a year income. And if you tell me you don't know where all the money is going on your in- income side, 200000 if you're plowing all of that back in, what's the structure of your business? Is it a proprietorship or a corporation? It's proprietorship. That's even worse. That means that every bit of your income is producing a tax liability for you, and yet you're not accumulating. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it looks to me like you need some real financial advice from a certified financial planner to tie together the three components of your world. It's wonderful that you've got an income of 200000 but you should be investing a fixed amount of that income a significant amount because you're sixty years old and that's a scary age so if I were you the the business side of it needs to be tied together with the investment side you mm-hmm. should be able to see how much you will have accumulated five years from now when you're 65 how much of that income coming in from your business will be over there in your investment portfolio you see what I'm saying yes. and the goal should be that your investment portfolio could support you at your lifestyle need to analyze your lifestyle very carefully
5: if you'd like any further information, call me at the office in Raleigh. That number is 919 872 That's 919-USA-7000.
1: Okay. I don't want to let her off the air without answering her question of definition. What is a subchapter S? It's nothing more than a corporation that does not pay taxes. It's a flow-through entity. It just lets you go ahead and have a non-taxable entity that looks and acts like a partnership or even a sole proprietorship like your business. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. It's just a non-taxable corporation as opposed to a regular corporation. Then it's got some other features and benefits to it, but for startup it's usually uh that's all that i mean that's all you need to know about it because it doesn't have any real bearing on your end what it has to do is over on his end and if you get some stock in it you know that's that's not your goal your goal is to help him out right yeah so it
5: sounds like i should not be encouraging my friends to
1: do this either uh, absolutely not you don't want to lose your friends no don't 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 do that that's called venture capital what it really is it's not subchapter s it's venture capital and that's a real sad situation when because of personal reasons, friends and relatives contribute to a venture capital deal, which is another term for startup business. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, don't do that. That's, that's, a, that's a real no-no. You can create a, a, a quagmire of problems down the road which are not worth it to you or your son.
3: And if you have questions about your investment portfolio, call the Lewis's right now at 919-860-9783. That's
2: 919-860-9783. You know what's yeah. funny, Doug, is the first thing that comes to mind when we say venture capital is that show, um, what's Shark the tank? one? Yeah, Shark- the one you like so much. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, well, I want to I comment now that Cheryl's off the air. I'm, I was listening to... What she said, and I, I don't mean, when I said it's a scary age, uh, 62 in your 60s, scary age, what I meant there, Cheryl, was that this decade of the 60s is a crucial, because you're past the 50s, you don't have uh, the number of decades in front of you to accumulate that would be your case if you were your son's age. That's uh, a good point. Yeah, so it's its not that it's scary in the sense that you're going to die or know right. it's a wonderful age it's the age it's the age that you should be enjoying all the fruits of your labor in the previous
2: decades That's right that's right and and yet but you do have to be cognizant of the fact that you that you don't have another 3 or 4 decades to uh, correct any wrongs or or make up for any mistakes
1: Yeah and as far as bringing friends in and venture capital deal. I think the best way to learn why that may not be the best thing to do is take a, take a little look at that show Shark Tank. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah, because sometimes those guys, are, they just shoot somebody down right away because yeah. uh, this type of investing is not for the faint of heart. No, no,
2: no. Even if you can, quote unquote, stand to lose it. But you know, Doug, there are other items that um, have been coming up recently, and one of them was in uh, regard to the mortgage situation and and, and really how it's going to be affected by the new tax laws.
1: Yeah, homebuyers right now have to decide how much money to put down amid uncertainties about long-term interest positions because picking the right house is just one of the big decisions you'll face when you go to buy a property. But then deciding on the down payment is another.
2: Low inventory in some national markets continues to pressure potential buyers into making bigger down payments to gain a competitive edge. But the possibility of rate increases, interest rate increases in the coming year and new rules on mortgage interest deductions may also affect how much buyers should put down.
1: Yeah, a lot of people are trying to come to grips with this new tax law and the tax changes and how it's going to affect mortgages. It will have more effect, actually, I think, on the upper end of the market when it comes to down payments and possibly also the sales pace of the higher-priced homes as well.
2: And we don't know what's in store for 2008. The Fed raised interest rates last... 2018. (laughs) Isn't that funny? We know what happened in 2008. (laughs) 2018. It's sort of uh, new and still fresh on my tongue to say, 2018. But last month, Doug, it was the third time in December 2017 that they had raised that interest rate. So, forecasting is um, already out there, and they're saying that there's probably going to be another three interest rate increases.
1: Yeah, now, 30-year fixed rate mortgages could rise to about four and a half percent by the last quarter of this year, so they say, 4.8 percent by the end of 2019. But also uncertain is how changes in tax policy is going to affect home buying, especially at the luxury end. And that's because under the new rules, only interest on mortgage debt up to 750000 is deductible, whereas before It was um, up to a million dollars, and so that may also have a big effect. Everybody's sort of wondering what that's going to do. You can only deduct your mortgage interest up to $750,000, so the luxury home market may be suffering there.
2: And, you know, there's going to be a lot of changes. So over the next couple weeks, we will um, be giving... Uh, uh, intra- um, information on some of these law, uh, new tax law changes and how they might affect you. Yeah, call us
1: at the office and schedule your appointment. That's 919 nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. That's nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. Because you want to be ahead of the curve on all these changes with regard to your own financial planning, and that's what we do. We try to stay ahead of the curve as we're preparing you to be able to go through. Either the next
2: year or the next decade. That's exactly right. You know, a lot of my recent meetings have been with young couples. And in the last year, probably 18 months or so, we've been seeing more people than we uh, have been seeing uh, recently who have been wanting, even if they didn't have a lot, they wanted financial planning advice as sort of a way to do financial couples counseling. And we say this all the time, a couple should definitely see a financial advisor before they get married.
3: And if you have questions about your investments or even your money, call the Lewises right now at 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783.
1: You know, Deborah, many years ago when we opened up this radio program uh, and began uh, receiving... Callers and clients coming to the office. Uh, the concept of a young pre uh, young couple getting married was almost unheard of. Coming for financial advice, but as you say, it's very different now. We're seeing a, a, a number of younger ones looking for. What, of course, is wise financial advice?
2: You know, it really is. And it's probably just a function of the fact that people are accumulating assets before marriage. They're getting married later in life. And they're seeing more and more people, some in their families, some in their friends, who are getting divorced. And maybe some of those those impacts have made them think financial uh, advice is something that they definitely really need to get. And it's a good way to start a marriage and to start the relationship off uh, in a healthy way.
1: Yeah, a lot of these uh, uh, peers of my own financial planners who offer premarital financial planning say they work with couples beyond the nitty-gritty details such as who's going to pay the bills and where the couple's going to pool their money or keep their accounts separate. They're taking on more of a counseling role to help couples deal with the emotions that can complicate financial decisions. For example, the stress that can strain a relationship In a newly married couple, when one partner decides or tries to exercise too much monetary control...
2: You know, when Cheryl Monk was writing this article, she was interviewing a whole bunch of uh, CFPs and financial planners and different advisors, and I'd have to say, I agree with the next quote. We are more psychologists in this position than we are actually financial planners when we're dealing with young couples. You know, it's the root of so many problems in couples' relationships. It does come out in these meetings that you have uh, with our clients.
1: And that's been our experience through the years, uh, in the later years, that we do end up... Very often in the realm of being a counselor, like a psychological counselor, the first thing, of course, they find out is there need to be no secrets. For the process to work, couples should be willing to openly discuss their spending habits, their assets, their liabilities, their financial goals. Because if you have secrets in a marriage, that's not going to help your marriage. Only when people are open about how they feel can inevitable differences be addressed. Uh, There was a financial planner named Renee Kwok who was cited in the article. She was a CFP, and uh, she was working with a young couple who planned to buy a house, but they had very different views on how much to spend.
2: Yeah, the future bride was much more frugal than her fiancé, and it was an emotional sticking point. She talked to the couple and talked them through the different scenarios and ran financial projections, and then she asked the young man to consider how spending less would be more prudent— and how it would ease his fiance's anxiety. The couple ultimately decided to take a more conservative approach based on the future bride's concerns. And these meetings were a real forum for creating a compromise because you see people's emotional reactions.
1: Yeah, what was Chuck's caller? He said uh, Valium, no, I, Valium. No, I said, I, yeah. Well, we do.
2: We sort of add a, a sense of, you know, here's what one person is feeling, and here's what this financial decision is going to make the other person feel so that we can sort of be a salve on that possible wound.
1: I'll never forget the one couple. <laughs> I won't mention their names, but they will chuckle if they're listening tonight because this was about 20 years ago when she and he sat in my office for their first meeting. And I remember she said to him, well, he said to her, do you really need to have 30 pair of shoes? And she turned to him and said, well, what about all those
2: golf clubs? <laughs> <laughs> right. So it does bring stuff up, whether you're getting married uh, in the future or have been married for a long time. Financial issues bring this up.
1: Yeah, Some people have no idea how much the other person spends or how much credit card debt he or she's carrying. And they're really surprised when the information comes out during these types of discussions or consultations.
2: There was a young man who uh, actually went through this process, and he says that the premarital financial planning process got him and his now wife... Um, started on the right financial footing before going through the process. The couple hadn't even given any thought to saving for retirement or life insurance or, or any of these big issues that were going to come up. And he had been putting all of his money back into his business and didn't know how much of a profit he was making or how to calculate monthly living expenses or how to budget appropriately. And now, after going through it, he feels that premarital financial planning is so important that he encourages his friends and his employees at his own company to take the time to do it.
1: Yeah, it's been an effective way for the couple and other couples that he knows to gain a shared understanding of their individual and their mutual financial goals and to save for the future. So if this is your situation out there and you are young and thinking of getting married, don't feel financial planning isn't for you. Call us at the office at 919 872 That's 919 872 And we will schedule a personal consultation for you. And I would say this to parents of young ones. Uh, we've had a number of parents over the last couple of years who have felt they'd like to give such a consultation as a present To their children.
2: So that they have the financial footing to start their life on the right foot. Exactly. You know, and go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. It's another way to get to know us. You hear us each Saturday and Sunday night from 6 to 7. We're a live call-in radio show. We are Lewis Financial Management. We've been doing comprehensive financial planning for the last uh, 30 three almost 34 years and um, this show has been a place where anyone could call in and ask their questions and and this is why we're here tonight.
1: hey we have another caller.
2: Mark welcome hey. to the show. Hey, How can we help you. you today?
4: Well my father uh, owned some land in Wake County about 50 acres and he is uh, considering giving me and my brother a, a portion of that land uh, probably four or five acres apiece Right. Okay. And he's going to just give it to us free and clear to uh, build on or, or do whatever. We're could, he was concerned, uh, one thing, about uh, when he does pass away, um, you know, the uh, taxes and stuff. What's the best way to do something like that if he wanted to give us four or five acres free?
1: He's right. First of all he's talking about what's called the basis on the property right and the step up in basis rules is is what he's realizing would not apply in your case how much is the property worth right now?
4: We're guessing the whole farm would be probably worth uh, six or seven hundred thousand
1: All right we got to figure out the cost of the gift how much he's giving you to oh, know, to about know ta- eighty thousand all right so he's giving you about eighty thousand dollars yeah and what's his cost in it?
4: His cost
1: was about $8,000. right. So, and how old are you, Mark? 32. 32. So you've got probably, and your dad, how old is he? Uh, 57. All right. So your dad's probably got another 30 years. That means the land's got another 30 years. I personally don't think there's, I mean, there's not much you can do about it. You could buy it from him and get the cost basis back up to 80000 uh, I, But... If he's going to give it to you, well, Linda, what kind of taxes do you think we're looking at now? What kind of tax issues are we looking at?
5: Well, probably a gift tax. A gift probably tax? That's the big thing that you're looking at here.
1: Yeah, I think that's the thing that nobody is looking at, but you're asking about really the capital gains tax. What What your dad is saying is that if he gives you this property now, yeah. and then when he dies, you decide to sell it, and let's say it's worth 200000 then, you'll pay... Capital gains tax if you sell it after he dies mm-hmm. of maybe a hundred thousand yeah, dollars. Yeah, and on the other hand, if he goes ahead and let and owns it until he dies, and then you inherit it right. and sell it, then you can sell it tax free. That's what he's saying. Mm-hmm. But the, but that means that he's got to own it all the way until he dies, and he's too young a man to be thinking that he's you know like that. Right.
5: Are you married, Mark? Yeah.
1: But that's the capital gain tax issue. Now, what Linda's talking about is the gift tax issue. Mm -hmm. The gift tax issue has to do with the tax on giving stuff away. Right. Even at his young age, though, I wouldn't worry about the gift tax as much. I might try and go ahead and buy it from him if you had the cash. See, I guess
5: the thing I was wondering is because Mark is married, the dad could essentially gift to each, right? right, to Mark and your spouse, Mark, mm-hmm. your wife.
1: Right. I think i just let him give it to you. I don't I don't see any reason not just to go ahead and give it to you outright. But right. like Linda says, split the gift so his estate tax isn't impacted too much.
5: Okay. Yeah, why don't you do this, Mark? If you have any other questions, write them down, call us at the office. Our number is 919-872-7000. Okay. That's
3: USA 7000.
5: All right. Thank All right. You very much. Thanks for calling. Okay. Bye-bye.
3: Bye now. And if you have questions about your estate documents, call the Lewises right now at 919-860-9783. That's
2: 919-860-9783. You know, what's interesting about many of the questions that we get in regard to uh, either after the show or during the week when we're at the office, is really wrapped up in the question of retirement planning and often rooted in common misconceptions that people have either heard or thought about or um, been told or, uh, you know, just have been have been sort of absorbing and not concentrating on how whether or not they apply to them or they don't apply to them.
1: you know, deborah i'm I'm glad you bring up that subject because probably. At least 50% of the meetings we have at our office for consultation, somewhere in the first 10 or 20 minutes of the meeting, I hear a statement like, well, I've always been told. (laughs) I've always heard.
2: Well, isn't it true you should? Yeah. And
1: and these are these common misconceptions that are out there. Right. So I think
2: it's a good time to hit them. Let's hit them. Okay. Well, sometimes this conventional wisdom can steer retirement savers really wrong. So don't you. Just follow the standard financial advice. You need to challenge it, and we've brought to light a couple of these of these challenges. One misconception is that the 401k or IRA plan offers retirement income.
1: Yeah, vehicles like 401k plans and IRAs are good ways to save because you do build tax-deferred savings. And if you simply follow the mandated required minimum distributions, you'll have retirement drawdown strategy.
2: So what's the problem with that? Well, while you're required to take distributions out of these plans, starting at age 70 and a half, it is not a retirement income strategy in the true sense of income, because withdrawals impact your total savings and are not truly income.
1: That's right. If we're just talking about withdrawals, that's getting your money back that you put in there. That's not really retirement income.
2: Now, what's another misconception,
1: Doug? Well, another one, of course, is that retirement calculators are accurate. When you research a plan for retirement, you're going to find many versions of devices that are, are out there called retirement calculators. And it's okay to fill in the blanks and then let them provide
2: a number. So what could be the problem? Well, the calculators might give you a rough idea of how much money you must accumulate, but they won't address your personal situation or help you plan for guaranteed lifetime income. And that's, again, just saying, well, if they told me I needed to uh, have X amount of dollars, I should be fine. Many people find out they aren't.
1: I think of the thousands of personal consultations I've had through the years, I've never seen two personal situations which are <laughs> identical. No calculator is going to solve the personal situations.
2: Another misconception is set your asset allocation and forget it. Big Most one. people know that you should make, some, make sure the money in your 401k or IRA is diversified. Your savings shouldn't be invested in just one type of asset class. Now, what's the problem?
1: Well, what the advice doesn't say is this. When you're about to retire, then you need to reconsider your pre-retirement asset allocation and add other choices to the mix. The plan that you developed when you were 35 certainly won't work at age 65.
2: That is so true. You know, another misconception is that all reverse mortgage strategies are bad. Yeah, the problem there is that
1: retirees should consider whether this option might provide benefits as part of a diversified retirement strategy. In moderation and properly managed, a reverse mortgage can provide peace of mind in the form of tax-free
2: cash flow for a retirement plan, and I've seen that happen. Yeah. Another... Uh, misconception, Doug, is that financial advisors consider all options available. (laughs) Well, you better ask, has your financial advisor discussed asset allocation with you? How much of your money should be invested in stocks? How much in bonds? How much in mutual funds? How much in cash? Even real estate? How much should you have?
1: Yeah, so what's the problem? Well, advisors don't talk about comprehensive financial planning. What do you you specifically do with your major sources of savings? Your rollover IRA, your 401k, your personal savings, the equity in your home to create retirement income. Each of these has its own tax and other considerations. Just assuming that your financial advisor is considering all these a- uh, options is a big misconception. Deciding how to use them most efficiently in your retirement income plan may be the biggest contributor to retirement income success.
2: So what's the bottom line? We would say that saving money is a simple but important concept. And as you approach retirement, it is just as important to determine how much income your savings can provide. So call us this week at 919 thousand let us go through and help you with your financial decisions
1: and thank you for listening us and joining us tonight for money matters with the lewis family doug linda and deborah lewis tonight we discuss tax breaks for 401ks fallacy of fixed index annuities down payments on homes seeing a financial planner before marriage and common retirement misconceptions now join us each saturday and sunday night from 6 p.m to 7 p.m here on wptf Visit our website, DougAndLinda.com, and remember, your money matters because your financial future is at stake.
0: You've been listening to Money Matters with the Lewis family Doug, Linda and Deborah. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, call Doug, Linda or Deborah in Raleigh at 919 919- 872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Or go to DougAndLinda.com and listen again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for more Money Matters with the Lewis Family on News Radio 680-WPTF.